0: Welcome everyone to a new episode of the Computomics podcast. We have a really great guest today. He has a 30 year career in government relations, industry representation, public affairs, advocacy and management. His core areas of expertise include agriculture, food policy and international trade. And currently he's the president and CEO of the American Seed Trade Association. Andy Levine, so great to have you here today.
1: And it's great to be with you and really appreciate the invitation to join you and uh, talk to your crowd today.
0: I'm going to hit you a little bit out of left field with the first question. I'm, I'm super interested. You're a poli-sci. You did poli-sci at the University of Florida, a Florida gator. How did you end up in the seed industry? What drew you to this industry?
1: Well, it's a, it's one of those stories that you don't imagine. And I didn't go to college to become an association executive and uh didn't even end up in uh growing up in agriculture my father was a pilot with the air force and uh ended up um coming to washington dc very interested in politics and developing policy from my uh, college career and uh, ended up working for a florida member of congress in agriculture so i handled everything from dairy to livestock and um sugar cane and vegetables. And so that diversity gave me the love of agriculture I have today and through a couple of other career jobs with the citrus industry in Florida and the Fertilizer and Agrochemical Association, had the opportunity to come back and work with the U.S. seed industry here in Washington, D.C. again. And uh, it's been a great ride. It's a wonderful industry and the diversity that we have is is, uh, absolutely incredible. So great industry to work with.
0: Now, the American Sea Trade Association uh, has several goals, one could say, right, several things that you do. Could you give a quick summary maybe of, of what your focus is?
1: Well, I think one of the things right off the bat, Anna, is the diversity of our, our sector or our association. We represent everything we like to say from alfalfa to zucchini in all production types. <laughs> organic, conventional, and biotech. And it uh, really is a choice of the company and the choice of the farmer on what they choose to plant and, and what, uh, what production type. And so we represent them at the state level and state capitals with respect to policy and legislation being passed and movement of seed between states. And then in the national level here in Washington, DC, again, with the policies that are impacted. And then the international level, uh, the American seed industry is the largest seed industry or seed sector in the world. We drive a lot of policy domestically and internationally, so we have to have to represent uh, our our position and opportunities on a global basis as well. And as we all know, seed moves globally pretty freely, and it's important that there are good, clear policies. So as seeds are crossing borders on that global basis, the rules are clear and things aren't held at the border because it's It's very important to be able to um, not have that stoppage of flow of seed when we're doing research or we're doing multiplication or we're selling to our customers.
0: Mm -hmm. Would you say that that is one of the main challenges or how would you describe the main challenges of ASTA?
1: Well, probably a couple of main challenges. A lot of people don't understand that uh, breadth of the seed industry and the importance of being able to produce a seed this year for a farmer to plant next year. We don't just have them on the shelf waiting for people to, to come in. You have to produce seed every year to, to supply that demand. And so that's probably the ba- biggest basic challenge. But as, the, as global trade continues to increase and that opportunity to breed globally and multiply globally, the understanding of governments is not as high as we would like it to be. So uh, we need to better educate our governments to help them understand that importance of movement and um, making sure that they understand what the seed industry does to uh, clear border customs requirements and things like that. So a lot of uh, a lot of interaction and handholding with governments around the world.
0: I'm sure you you're not allowed to share, but but you can, <laughs> like the the really like possibly horrible horror story, stories that that might entail. But um, can you recall like a fun episode of such a situation where you would have to explain to someone maybe in a policy uh, context? what the seed industry
1: is about um well just in working with a certain country in asia um, they're used to buying grain from the united states and we were looking to um, move seed into that country to be able to multiply and to to do research and multiply in that country and they were used to um Whole semi truck loads of sea of grain being moved in their country, and they were concerned about what happens when the, the truck rounds a, cor- cor- a corner and spills onto the road, and goes off and grows in the ditch. Mm-hmm. Well, we explained to them that seed is so valuable. We don't ship it in that kind of a, a shipment. We put it in bags and it's very well tied. And in a lot of cases, in small envelopes because it's small packages, and we literally had to show them that process so that they better understood the difference between large containers of grain that are used to feed livestock mm-hmm. and small packets of seed that are used that are very valuable and that are used for research and, and multiplication. And it's just that things we take advantage of and, and we just take for granted that most people associate, well, it's, it's a corn seed, therefore it's grain and therefore it's going to be fed. It's like, no, it's not we're a completely different industry.
0: Wow. Okay. Well, with, given, given that it is so global and that, uh, you know, you mentioned the border crossings are a big, uh, you know, a big part of what you have to think of with regards to policy and talking to people, the pandemic must have been a huge challenge. How would you say that the pandemic changed the seed industry or, or what you are doing?
1: There were some things that hit us right from the beginning that we just didn't anticipate, and I don't think most people could have. Uh, as you can imagine, a lot of the seed for research and multiplication move in the bellies of commercial airlines. And first couple of months of last year, commercial airline flights shut down more or less. And so you did not have that that track. And so we had to spend some significant time reaching out to commercial uh, shipping air freight companies to be able to see where can we fit um, you know our companies into their their um, uh, packaging and, and their movement, and it's a challenge because everyone was all of a sudden looking at that too. We weren't we weren't the only ones in that case. Uh, and then you you think of things where with a pandemic you don't have as many people on the borders looking at shipments and looking at at um, you know the, the movement of of products and. So things got, just began to get backed up. And so we really had to make sure that we were considered an essential industry and uh, help people realize it. And at the same time, our companies on the ground here in the U.S. were delivering seed for planting because it was March and April of last year. It's a very heavy planting season throughout the country. Mm-hmm. And so you had all of those various factors, whether it's domestic or international. And uh, it, it'll be interesting to see how that impacts us long term because farming is such a one-on-one basis, you're already dealing with social distancing. I mean, farmers are by nature individualistic, but the relationship with say a seed company and the seed salesperson is very, um, I think, um, very close. And it's something that that the seed company wants to make sure the farmer is getting what they need and it's performing like they anticipate. So you're constantly going out, walking the field, looking at the plants, looking at the growth, Um, making sure that performance is there. So it uh, caused some challenges in that way and uh, uh, pushed the seed companies to think of new ways of doing business with their farmers, uh, ultimately their, their customers.
0: Interesting. Can you go into what those new ways are or maybe give an example?
1: Yeah, I think the best example I heard from one of our companies in California who were looking to do their demonstration plots and all of a sudden, you know, there's nothing better if you've never been in a vegetable field to see the diversity of color and size and flavor of vegetables when they're when they're in a, in a vegetable demonstration plot. Well, they couldn't do that. And so we had a company who they rounded up their young graduates who had done all this work in their master's and PhD theses recently, and they were very comfortable using their iPhones to take videos, and they literally packaged up fruits and vegetables, sent them to their customers, and then they walked their, their uh, grower customers through their demonstration plots while the customer's looking at the vegetables. And so they, they did the most virtual um, demonstration possible of, um, of their product. And they did this within, I'd say 90 days of the start of the pandemic last March. And so it was very creative on their part, but they put their company's hands in, in the hands of a bunch of 20 year olds and said, we need to be able to bring our product to our customer because they're not going to be able to walk through the field and kick the dirt and, and taste them. And so that's that's what they did and it was, it was quite innovative. Nice, yeah, I guess that's
0: what this Amazing challenge has forced all of us to do right? To think maybe of new ways, be creative. Uh, um, I was thinking about the expo that you usually have, right? The CSS and Seed Expo yes. in December is usually something uh, that happens in Chicago on site, obviously. Um, and last year, it had to go virtual. How was that experience? And what would you say? What did you take away from it?
1: Well, the experience itself was very good. We were able to reach people that we would have never been able to reach. And I think from the presentation standpoint and our discussions on policy, we had better turnout than we've ever had. And it's because we did have uh, a larger group of people from around the world who could not have traveled to the U.S. for whatever reasons. Um, And they were able to participate and listen to sessions as well as uh, be involved in policy discussions. The takeaway that was, I would say, on the negative side is you, it was much more difficult to do the, the networking component. Uh, a lot like I talked about with respect to demonstration plots, um, the CSS the Chicago meeting relies on that interaction and whether it's running to people in the hall or down in the expo sh- show floor, or even in the bar at night or going to dinner, those relationships you can't replicate in a virtual environment on the computer. Um, and, and so that was a bit of a challenge that uh, we realized very quickly that on the one hand, we can get that increased participation in awareness of the US industry and corn and sorghum and soybeans. But on the other hand, you can't replicate uh, people just running into each other naturally and developing relationships or renewing relationships uh, that they only typically see once a year in Chicago.
0: Mm-hmm. I saw on the website that you also had the, the survey feedback um, that where you asked past and uh, you know, open member and past attendees, you know basically their feedback about the expo. And, and what did you gain from that survey if you already got a chance to look at it?
1: Uh, oh yeah, we've, we've analyzed it, I think, Anna, every which way we could possibly analyze it to, to find the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, and, and I think, again, the positive is virtual is here to stay. There, is going, there are parts of our meeting that will be open to people uh, around the world. Uh, and, and our hope is that companies will look at it from the standpoint of, uh, as they identify young leaders, they may not be in a position where they could go to a meeting like Chicago because of resources or financial uh, purposes or timing. Um, but they can still participate by dialing in, taking two hours and watching on, on the, on the uh, virtual platform. Uh, and so I think that will continue and we'll continue to have more and more international participants. Uh, on the other side is um, people were very clear. We don't wanna network virtually, you know, we'll do it when we need to with our customers and, and with our um, uh, competitors or others that we that we need to interact with. But, you know, a, a virtual environment is not not the right platform for, networking and developing relationships. We want you, ASTA and other organizations like us to continue to provide that um, face-to-face forum for us to be able to operate. And so we're looking forward to December this year. We think it's gonna be one of those, uh, everyone coming out of hibernation uh, Mm -hmm. and being able to interact, uh, uh, renew old friendships and really spend some quality time together to, uh to get back catch up with everybody
0: Mm -hmm. can you go into a little more detail on the plans that you have for the on-site program
1: well we're still developing them um and we're going to go through a lot of our usual activities with respect to um dan we will be back with our economic look both on the domestic level and the international level he's a uh usually our our biggest um a selling point or, or biggest turnout of, of a crowd in, in that we get uh, six, 700 people go just to listen to Dan's predictions. And he's, he really gets a good global perspective on what's impacting those grains. Um, we're going to have a number of people talk about coming out of COVID and coming out of a pandemic. And what does that mean? And what did we learn? Uh, we'll have a, a number of um, uh, opportunities for young um, leaders in the industry to interact with Uh, more senior people who have gone through a lot of the activities, uh, you know, through the ranks and through the different size companies and pass through experience. And uh, then we'll be looking at uh, some of the policies. What what does sustainability mean to our sector? And then what does it mean to our customers downstream all the way to food on the table or feed in the the uh, livestock uh, community and those kind of things? So it really is a pretty diverse uh, platform. But we're also looking at our expo. You know, how do we make that – uh, what we're calling a, a series of villages about key parts of the industry working together and how do you set seed uh, treatment and conditioning together and you know genetic uh, analysis and computation in one area and you know, very equipment and uh, uh, implements in another to really showcase them not only to our participants but to our virtual audience. Then the last thing that we're looking at doing, Anna, is really trying to step up our activities on the networking component. Can we set up areas throughout the hotel? It's a very big hotel in downtown Chicago. So set up those areas throughout the hotel where people can gather in, um, in manners that are similar to our expo show villages. You know, Here we've got this common issue of interest that we're going to facilitate and maybe have somebody talk about topic for five or 10 minutes, and then let people just go back and forth and just have a dialogue and and do that throughout. So you're introducing people, but you're also um, bringing people back together.
0: That sounds great. Um, I wonder, do you have, uh, because the situation in the US is different than in Germany or in other places with regards to the pandemic, we don't know what's going to happen (laughs) in in wintertime if we get into another wave. Um, How do you look to maybe allay fears of, you know, Distance, social distancing. Do you have any uh, policies in place uh, with regard to that?
1: Well, the policies are changing day by day, as you can imagine, as you're yeah. probably experiencing in Europe. Um, the U.S. is beginning to open more, and so there, what we're trying to do is uh, do basic things. Uh, we'll have stickers on people's name badges that basically are colored. That if you're comfortable, you know, uh, being with somebody close it's uh, a green or if you're a little apprehensive you know maybe yellow and if if you're not comfortable at all a red and so you stay your distance and people will understand where where that comfort level is we'll obviously have um a hand sanitizers throughout we'll have masks if people need an extra mask uh, those kind of things we're trying to um, set it up so at this time things are distanced as much as possible working with the hotels they've all gone through their own corporate um, activities, and so the Hyatt is ready for, you know, if you want your room cleaned or you don't want your room cleaned, you can say uh, those kind of things that really uh, help people feel more comfortable in the environment. And I think the biggest thing that we're gonna see um, in this is what's the global transportation requirements at this time and where our countries in their process. We get a great deal of people from Europe, a great deal of people from South America um, in this meeting in December, and how far along will they be in the immunization process? Um, and then just generally uh, t- traveling uh, people, if they're not feeling comfortable yet, then, you know, they're, they're not going to jump on a plane and come to Chicago. So uh, we hope that things will start to open up by September or so. And uh, we are looking at it on a weekly basis to see what we need to do to feel, make feel, make people feel comfortable and accommodate their needs.
0: Right. Well, that sounds great. I really like the idea of the stickers too, because that way you, you kind of save people from having to verbalize that all the time and some right. are really uncomfortable about it. It's just a very nice visual way to have like a signaling system for that. Um, with uh, with regard to the outlook look maybe beyond uh, the the expo um, and the conference, uh, if you look further on to next year and maybe even more, what what would you say are maybe movements or trends in the seed industry that that you can already detect?
1: Probably the biggest movement that has been uh, driving almost everything that we work on today. I guess there's two, but one of the main ones is just that uh, the rapid innovation and discovery within the genetics um, arena, uh, the biology and genetics arena for plants, plants and plant breeding. Um, we were constantly working on what are the policies in the U.S. and then policies internationally with respect to right now it's gene editing and uh, CRISPR-Cas9 and other things along that line and how our government's going to treat that as it goes forward. But it's whatever that next technique is. What is? What are we doing? And then all of the, the factors that come around that. A lot of people don't understand. The rapid um, movement that we're seeing or in, in discovery in genetics, and how do you deal with that? And how does it fit into how do all of those pieces fit into new techniques like gene editing? You know, it's a wonderful technique, but by itself, it's, it's not effective. You've got to know the genetics of that plant. You've got to know uh, if you've got molecular marker technology, you've got to how does that fit into what I'm trying to get to for that ultimate end variety. And they all play together. And and, um, I don't think people understanding where those techniques are going so rapidly. Mm -hmm. The other issue that we are um, all on the cusp of internationally is sustainability. And what does that mean for our industry? Uh, It's being called many, many things, agroecology, sustainability, you name it, but what does that mean? you know, how do you measure it? How do we help uh, climate change in this? And we think we stand in a great place in the seed industry because we help provide solutions. And so that's where where we're excited, but it's a lot of unknowns right now. And so we're staying on top of that. It's driving a lot of what we do, but even the base of that is, is the research and innovation that's going on in the seed sector today.
0: Well, it is even in your mission statement that, you know, research is something that you support as part of your mission, as part of the work you do. And uh, that was also what you just you just showed um, how like how do you support research, uh, especially with regards to um, those two major factors you just mentioned. So um, the the tec- tec- uh, technique, genetics on one side um, and sustainability on the other.
1: Well, in the United States, we've got a system of land-grant institutions, and every state has a land-grant college or an identified land-grant college that does or is in charge of agriculture research at that base level across uh, their state to try to specialize in what they do. And it's not just research, it's education, economics uh, across the board. And what we try to do is uh, work at the state and federal level for funding, first off, and making sure that they have the resources available. And as you can imagine, that's been challenging, you know, depending on the year and depending on the economy of the state or the federal government, we always have some challenges there. And so we've got to continue to push to make sure that those re, um, resources are available. They train our, our next generation of workers in our industry. They also collaborate with the industry in uh, a discovery and innovation and Uh, In a lot of cases, that's where gene editing and and those techniques have come from or mapping the genome. So, we realize that we've got to have that base public, uh, strong public uh, um, research community. And so, we work on constantly um, ensuring that we've got funding there. Uh, We work to to help develop capacity on the U.S. level and the international level to help governments that may not have uh, the resources that the U.S. does to build base capacity for um, agronomic and and plant breeding practices, what we would call plant sciences across the board, because it's needed to help any developing country uh, continue to succeed and feed its people. And so the the research is is ongoing. And I I would say the last part of it, Anna, that we work on extensively is just the education. Um, I always say in my presentations, I ask the crowd, you know, how many of you took a genetics class in college? Doesn't matter whether it's plant or human or animal, you know, maybe 10% raised their hand. I said, well, how many people finished the class, didn't drop the class, or, you know, and passed it? Mm-hmm. And about half the hands go down. And then I asked how many people took another genetics class? And maybe one or 2%. So you think of the number of people, I think, who understand genetics or genomics in, in our industry and it, or in, in our publics is very small. So how do we help them in a straightforward, simple way, understand the amount of discovery we've had just in the last 10 years in our industry? It's mind boggling, it's fascinating. Um, And to me it's exhilarating, but it's also frustrating in trying to explain how successful we've been to better understand what mother nature has given us. So that's where we spend a lot of our time on that research component, helping to make sure that they've got the resources necessary but also want helping the public understand that what we're developing is um, safe for the environment, safe for consumption, all of those things, and it helps us to, to address things like sustainability, climate change, and those impact those things impacting farmer production and the food on our table.
0: Well, that's a that's a tall order. It feels <laughs> like your days must be very long, but also exciting. Um, maybe maybe just as a final question, what what is the part? of your work that you enjoy most?
1: Without a doubt, it's working with the young scientists that are coming out of our our colleges and universities who are really excited about that opportunity to make a difference. And whether they're looking at it from that standpoint of making a difference in a a small shareholder farmer in a developing country, or whether it's making a difference in California because of drought and fire and other other, uh, natural disasters that are impacting them, they have a, a strong desire to make change through science and make change through discovery. And they see that ability to, to do that by the smallest, you know from the smallest component, and it's the seed. And they see the the um, capacity that's there and the ability to make that change through that seed. And to me that's just uh, absolutely uh, exhilarating, and I love to help them tell their story. Uh, because they're really excited about it. And, and they've done a lot of work, obviously, to get where they are. Um, a, a lot of study and a lot of field trials and a lot of failures and, and a number of successes. But that's the nature of the beast that they work in. And to see that excitement that they uh, bring to their job every day is is um, just outstanding. And so we look to continue to cultivate that in, in order to help us find solutions.
0: Thank you, Andy, for taking the time to join us here at the Computomics podcast to talk about your work. And to our listeners out there, I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did and gained some new insights into ASTA and the seed industry. We look forward to the Expo in December and meeting you there. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us at info at computomics.com.